You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and I'm talking to you from Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, I have a fellow coach who's going to join our discussion. His name is Matthew Brackett. Excuse me. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. Thank you very much to have me here with Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, tell everybody where you're calling in from. Well, I'm originally from Massachusetts, but I'm calling in from Mexico City, where I'm oh. living temporarily. So, yes. So that's oh, where interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the draw to Mexico City? I'm in the transition of life, so it made sense. And I, I have a special place in my heart for Latin America. Um, and so financially, it made sense to um, start this, this new career path. And um, it's more inexpensive to live down here. I'm also broadening my... Latin American network because my services brought um, they span boundaries so they're they're both bilingual both in Spanish and English. Mexico is a great location as it's closest to the states and also closest to Central and South America. So that's that's the main. It's a temporary solution, and, and I'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of transition and such, uh, Matthew and I know each other from a coaching network known as Ezra. And if you're a regular follower of my show, you've heard me speak of that before. It is an outlet and a channel that um, there are a number of coaches globally are part of. And we, through the Ezra platform, we provide a so-called coaching on demand option to businesses that are looking for coaching support. Uh, leadership development, management training, and things of that sort. And we can get it at a very economical rate because there's no in-person. It's all virtual and it's all uh, uh, online. So the travel is off the table and everybody enjoys that, I think. <laughs> I, I know I do. <laughs> right. It's a great, a great platform and a great experience. Yes. But uh, as is a bit of a custom, Matthew, I always ask my guests to share a little bit of backstory, kind of what their life journey has been and how they got into what they are now doing. And I, I know a piece of yours, and uh, but I'll let you share whatever abridged version you'd like to share. <laughs> yes, I'll keep, I'll keep this short. So I grew up the 10th of 13 children in small town New England, small town Massachusetts. My parents have since passed, but um, at the age we grew up in a very, in a very traditional small town um, environment. But my parents were very generous people, and I think they educated us in generosity and having a big heart and wanting to serve others and make a difference in the world. And that led me to make a decision to go into into formal religious ministry. My background is Catholic, so I, I went to seminary, joined a religious what they call a religious order. Think of Jesuits, Franciscans, Dominicans, something like that. So a, a religious group like that, an international religious group. So I joined that, and that began a path of really of thirty years of between education, and training, receiving ordination as a priest in two thousand two, twenty years of active ministry, which brought me most of that was outside of the United States. So I was in Italy for a number of years. I was in Ireland. I was in South America, in Colombia, and Chile, um, and I was also in the Navy as as a as a chaplain, and. And then I transitioned out of that two years ago 
Um, there's a whole, obviously, a whole story that goes with that, um, and the, with the complexity of the of the decision. Um, but stepping into a new professional identity and role, but at the same time coming from a place of service, uh, of generous service that goes back again to what I said about my family, to wanting to continue to serve people in their own development. And I suppose over time, I realized a leadership authority is it's a given in the human in the human experience. It will always be there. Um, and I've seen leadership and authority used in very life-giving ways. And I've also seen it used in very destructive ways. So, I, so I've stepped into the area of coaching and education, really geared towards people in leadership roles so that they can focus on leading themselves better, first and foremost, leading their inner circles better, their circles of influence, which can be personal and professional, and then leading in an organizational context. As you know, there's, so there's different dynamics in all of those but they all play off of each other and they're so important. So really I meet people at that intersection of the personal and professional so that they can show up better personally, really to their priorities and professionally. And, can, and what, I say, what I say is lead better, love better and live better. So that's what I'm dedicating myself to. I'm, and I'm, I've been able to, very fortunate to finish a, another master's degree in the psychology of leadership, which gives me a lot of, a more substantial content to bring to the education and the consulting space around leadership. Because as you know, we talk so much about leadership and it can become very complex. And sometimes it ends up meaning everything and nothing at the same time. And that's why I love your the title of your podcast because it's about let's go back to the let's go back to basics. <laughs> let's remember common sense. So that's that's where I'm at right now. And, and as I said, working um, across boundaries and across borders and across cultures. And I love your tagline. And what was it again? Lead better, better, love better, and live better. I like it. I like it. And I'm I'm already hearing a, a theme that I, I do want to talk about. And on on one hand, it's incredibly consistent with my own personal beliefs, which what led me into coaching. And it's also very consistent with some international coaching federation tenants. And that is that. We want to look at our clients as a whole. You know, they they are and and a holistic human being when they present themselves in the coaching moment. And if you if you want to do your best work as a coach, you have to take into account all dimensions. You can't just say what's your most prevalent business problem right now. You know, they're for people in roles of authority, there's inevitably a lot of other factors that influence the way they show up in those moments. And you and I know, and ultimately those we, we work with figure out that it, it's that human experience that guides and leads the, the choices that we make. So um, it, it is so important to have that holistic uh, view of things. And I, I, I really like your phrase. I mean, that really captures a lot of it, a, a lot of it. How, how did you come to that? You know, it was so interesting because I've been working on my website will go live pretty soon. And so I've been kind of, and I went back over notes and I, and I saw this consistent sort of repetition because I've been writing stuff for the last six years about what my business would look like. And, um, and this just continued to come up. And it's interesting because in the executive world, the corporate world, there's a lot of the business or just organizational world, the whole thing about love, people sort of want to take that out of out of that, you know, and then and the sort of like it 
makes people cringe sometimes. You know, why are you bring in love? And, but anyways, in my personal journey and my philosophy of coaching and of life is um, that became a constant. And I was, so I think I've tried, to, I was resistant towards that. I already need to keep love out of it because that's going to lose clients. But again, it came back to, but this is, this is who I am. And so, and these are the people who I am meant to serve will be attracted to that. So it's, it just continues to come up and lead better, love better and live better. Um, and it's very much about who I am and my philosophy around in the services that I bring. So I can't remember exactly how I came up with it, but it became, as I went back over my notes, it became a consistent message that continued to show up. And I said, well, this, there's a, this is it. Well, again, I think it speaks volumes to the spirit of of good leadership, and uh, particularly the popular style of leadership known as servant leadership. There, there's an understanding and an underlying element of of genuinely care for slash love your people and serve them in that leadership role. For some, that's a hard pill to swallow still to this day. Some that have maybe grown up in a tradition of autocratic leadership, command and control style. Right. Uh, where I am in the Houston area, of course, we're, we're inundated with oil and gas activity. And when you really start sort of lifting the hood on that, you discover there are decades of tradition of pretty rigid command and control styles of leadership there. Some of the big oils are actually working very hard to change that because they realize that's just not going to work for the modern workforce. They can't attract young, smart talent and subject them to that kind of of management. I won't even call it leadership, but I'll, I'll call it management. Right. It's so true. I mean, and that's. I think the wisdom of leadership is to to be able to adapt to situation. And when you know, when we look at leadership, it's leaders, followers, and then the situation or context. And that and we can't be blind to that situation and context because the situation and context determines a lot of the decision making and how we adapt. You know, you talk about servant leadership. We could talk about adaptive leadership. All of it. It's all important. There's not one perfect style of leadership, but it's how we are able to apply the right type of leadership style in a certain specific situation or context. And that's sort of what, what, what you're speaking to. And, you know, in, in our generation, the newer generations have evolved. And so we need to adapt and to be more effective. In the end, the question, that's the point, being effective and, and effectively reaching a common goal. And if a certain style is not working, well then, then we need to adapt. Sometimes leadership, we can be a bit blind to that, right? Or authority figures, we can be blind because this is what I know, or this is the way it's always been done. Or this, um, but that that ends up being a huge obstacle in, um, in efficiency and growth and being effective. So and so love and love. Sometimes when you think of love, well, you think of it in a romantic setting, or you think of it. Some people will see it as a soft word, but love is love is pretty extreme. I mean, love is love is sacrifice. Love is is also accountability. Love is speak, having difficult conversations. Because you care, right? When it comes from a place of care, and like you said, servant leadership, um, love makes a whole difference, right? And so it's, um, I think, you know, I would often speak about that leadership is love. 
So in understanding what obviously what that means in the leadership context. So so that's why that that whole concept is important to me. And thank you for bringing that up. And then and just how important it is to adapt. Well, it, it, this may be a stretch of, of thought here, but uh, as you were describing that, I, I, I flashed through my mind when I was first introduced to Stephen R. Covey's work in his Seven Habits book back in the 1980s. I, I read through that and, and being myself a man of faith, I read that book and I said, well, these seven principles, they're biblical. They're not, they're, they're not new. But he very artistically crafted the language around it to present it to to make very profound business points, and it exploded. I mean, the business world just went nuts reading the Seven Habits, and and to this day, it's quoted and uh, similar to the Ezra program we we plugged early. I, I am also in the Franklin Covey group of. Uh, executive coaches. And uh, to this day, I mean, Stephen R. has passed on now and his son has kind of picked up the mantle, but um, a lot of those teachings, principles and practices, and, and, and even when you read the, the subsequent works that they did, if, if you know the, the scriptures, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, <laughs> there's nothing new here. <laughs> there are, there's these perennial new principles that have just always been there for the human beings but we have to sort of every generation we have to rediscover them maybe worded differently but it's again as i said at the beginning it's going back to basics yeah and I, the great thing about a book like that or other books is that it just it provides a very clear roadmap uh, right clarity of principles and we appreciate that as human beings well and and i have to admit that, that reading the seven habits was one of my early inspirations in my own leadership journey and and partly because of the connection I made and, and what I just talked about I've carried that forward and it it accentuates my belief and again hence the title of my show you know understanding leadership can really be common sense practical instruction it doesn't have to be complex and elaborate to to make things work and again, credit to Stephen R. Covey for what he did, making those what could have been very intense principles, very easy to understand, very straightforward, good word pictures with each one of them. And, and people that don't normally study works like that can pretty well quote you a couple of the seven habits one way or another. <laughs> right. That's right. No, it's very digestible, very down to earth. That's so helpful for us. So what you, you mentioned your master's uh, degree and, and uh, tell me again, what, what is the focus of that? In leadership, the psychology of leadership. So it really doesn't focus just on sort of the nebulous or theoretical aspects of leadership, but really on the human being in leadership. You'd be at the leader or be at the follower. And, and then the context that, uh, that is surrounding that. So it's, it's been a great program out of Penn State, which I've done virtually. So that's that's been the focus. It, uh, you know, the whole idea of introducing psychology into leadership study, again, for some may, may be a little too extreme, but I think it, if, if you're going to stand in a position of authority, there is much to be said for at least having 
an awareness of the dynamics that are involved so so that you can shape your leadership response to a situation accordingly and i i agree 100 percent with what you said earlier that you know leadership is very much about showing up in the moment and different situations are going to require different responses and uh, those that are better at being a little nimble but yet being centered in a belief or a a, a mindset about where they want to go are the ones that emerge as the most respected and and followed leaders. I... Yes, yeah. And when I say psychology, it's not like we go into you know how to be. A, it's not it's not the whole aspect of therapeutic approach, right. but it's the understanding of human behaviors. Right. right. How we behave as human beings, how leaders behave, what are the pitfalls, what are the strength, what are the things that we need to develop to be effective in that relationship. And it, and one of the things, as you well know, through your work is self-awareness self-awareness is one of the greatest asset leadership assets but it's also one of the lack of self-awareness is one of the greatest leadership pitfalls and but it's that can become a vicious circle because how do we become more self-aware how do we know if we're not self-aware right? and so we're, then we all we have these blind spots and so the work that we do around coaching or education but especially coaching it's it's a space where people begin to reflect a little bit more about themselves. And as you know, it's a very powerful experience. I use this image of, you know, coaching is sort of, because life is very fast paced, no matter what you're doing in your personal and professional. Very fast. And, and when you're driving down the highway at 65, 75, you don't see a whole lot of things. But when we're driving at 15 miles an hour and 20 miles an hour, we're able to notice a lot more. And that's what coaching forces us to do. Right? When my clients show up to like, they did take a deep breath and then like, and they're able just to then notice what's going on inside of them, notice what's going on around them and adapt and make better decisions and, and make a plan. So I, I, like, I use that image for, for what a coaching session does. It forces us to slow down and to really pay attention. And as for anyone, that's so important, but for people in leadership roles, so much more important. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And when we use the word psychology in the in respect to coaching, I, I, I think your your distinction is important. And, uh, you know, those of us that do follow the tenets of the International Coaching Federation, we, we do uh, walk a, a really careful line between that whole notion of providing some sort of therapy work in our sessions right. and we we don't do that one because we're not licensed therapists we you know none of us try to do that nor should we but there there is an element of psychology and understanding the human existence that you you need to do a little bit of education on if you're going to truly pursue a role as a leader I often take a page out of psychology teaching and I, I reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a, as a key pivotal, pivotal consideration that leaders should have, primarily for the reason not only are they themselves existing on that hierarchy day to day, but their people are too. And so you may have that rock star on your team that you walk in one day and the guy's just off. He's not, I mean, he's there, but he's not, <laughs> he's not the rock star he's, he's been for you. And, and you scratch your head and go, what's wrong? 
And if, if you're not able to understand a little bit of the psychology, well, that individual might have had a horrible fight with their spouse as they walked out the door that morning. So their heart and mind is disconnected from the work and they're off doing something else mentally or emotionally and and they're not yours for the moment right right and if you if you allow that to be a breaking point in that work relationship even though it's a a very uh, temporary situation you're going to make an error if you're the leader and and conversely if you can sense that and say oh gee Matthew, you don't seem to be having a good day. And, you know, is, is there anything you want to share with me? Anything I can help you with? Anything, you know, uh, I'm here for you. You know, I, you right. know, let's, let's, let's get through this, whatever it is. And I'm, I'm here to hear whatever you've got to share and, you know, yes, and being an in leader will allow you to plug into that. Right. Yeah. Again, it goes back to what we're saying about caring about our people. Right? And the, the human being is very, it's very complex, <laughs> no matter how we spin it. There's a simplicity about it, but there's also, there's a beautiful complexity about the human being. Um, and oftentimes when when people are put into leadership roles, and again, we speak about leadership, we, we all have them. We know if we talk about leadership as influence, even if you're, if you're in a committed relationship, if you're married in your family, you have a leadership position. Not about one over another, but you influence each other. And you influence each other either positively or negatively or neutrally. Generally, it's more positively or negatively. So it's how do we influence those around? And then we bring that influence into the workplace. But when, we, when people are put, you know, the higher you go up, the more, oftentimes the higher you go up, then the more you have to deal with people. And people are often put in leadership roles because of their expertise, their education, or their success at lower levels. Um, and they're either sometimes they're not prepared for, properly prepared for the, this next step of leadership, or they're just not built for it. Right? But, um, but all of a sudden they find themselves and, and they're like, oh, <laughs> I didn't want to manage people. I wanted to continue doing what I was doing. Right? And so then there's this, this whole discovery of how do I manage people? And we go back to the self-awareness, what you're talking about, you know, the emotional intelligence, the social intelligence, this openness of to the human experience and how can I take care of people? You know, because if you only worked with machines before, that's very different, right? <laughs> now you're managing people and, uh, and being able to do that. I think we can do a lot, organizations can do a lot to train their people better. And there's ways, you know, for, for certain positions, or to realize that if you're not the right fit, that we can promote you in other ways, but maybe not into other positions. But how can we, uh, you know, how can we compensate your experience and your expertise without necessarily putting you in a position that you're not cut out for? Because that's not good for anyone. Right. Well, you're you're touching on a, a, a favorite theme that I use frequently when I'm talking with my coaching clients, and, and that is the realization that we have a strange tradition in modern business of feeling the need to put someone in a supervisory role. And the way we typically do that, we go look at the team and we find the best producer and we say, poof, you're the new supervisor. And usually, not always, but usually, we don't even have a real discussion about, do you want to be the supervisor? (laughs) 
we, we, we kind of dangle it out there and make the announcement as though anybody would appreciate that promotion and that up leveling of their, you know, job opportunity. And then most take it uh, without any question, but then they get into it and they realize it's kind of like this proverbial, oh my goodness, what did I do? And you've got this awakening and the first time you hold a team meeting and you get all these faces looking back at you, you, you're saying to yourself, wow, this is now very real. What have I done? (laughs) Yes, I think as organizations, we have to find better ways to either to promote or compensate our people that isn't just that traditional mechanism of, of, of promotion. There's going to be other ways. And then to compound it, that person that goes into that first level supervisory job, if if they survive that, usually they get a chance to move up one more grade to manager of something, which might mean they have two or three of those of themselves right. that are now reporting to them. And thus they're launched on their management career. And it's usually two or three more promotions before the company says, why don't we give this guy some leadership training? Let's, uh, let's, let's give him a chance. And, and, (laughs) but now you've already spent five, 10, maybe 15 years of influencing work teams, not necessarily to the good. Right. And, and, uh, now you are corrected in, in what you should be thinking and doing. So. Mm. Well, yes, such a good point, Doug, and thank you. But it is about preparing, setting people up for success, you know, which is a common theme. It's common phrases out there, but it's so, but to do that in reality, and again, it goes back to care and love, really. When I want this person to be successful, how am I going to help them to be successful? Not only because it's in my best interest, it's in the best, <laughs> it's in the best interest of the organization. I want my people to do well. I want our organizational well-being to be top-notch. And so I, it's important to invest. But that, that's where people, sometimes they either they think it's a no-brainer. Well, if they were so good at this, then they're, they're going to be good at that, right? Or um, sometimes it's like, do we, I don't want to, you know, they're counting the pennies. And so I don't want to, we don't want to invest time or money into this. I'm sure they're going to do fine. And so, but then, you know, in the end, what is the price? Right? Maybe the price tag might be a lot bigger than, than leadership training, right? Right. With whatever the consequences are. So if we're, if we're counting our pennies, and we always just thinking big picture is <clears throat> so important, as you well know, in leadership and just in life. Think big picture. Right. What um, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you in your in your Navy service time, what were some of the biggest leadership challenges you faced there, you know, working with those who had positions of authority and um, you know, how, how did that help shape some of your thinking about leadership development? Right. Um, I suppose what I saw there, and I have to preface it with almost all my experiences of the leadership. As a chaplain, I am an advisor to, to people in leadership roles. So I, there were about seven or eight commanders that I, they had, that I advised on a regular basis. Um, and I had great relationships with all of them. And, and so and that speaks to obviously and their openness as well. And, and I was very fortunate. I had a lot of ministry experience before that. So I think it gave me a lot of credibility in how I did my job. So I have this I had wonderful experiences. And, but it, 
there's maybe two things that come to mind is they, they follow the traditional promotion sort of, you know, you have to do certain billets, have certain assignments to, to continue to promote. And so it's a traditional model that puts certain people in leadership roles that they're really not cut out for. But it's sort of, it's what you have to do in order to continue on. And so I think that's a model that they need to continually study to see what's, what's the best fit. Because if you look at a lot of the studies around dysfunctional or toxic leadership, a lot of that is done in the armed forces. A lot of those studies, research is done. And so it's a very common problem. And that being said, I've had very many good experiences of leadership. So the other thing is um, the the human element, because of this is, again the, the mindset is very unique as far as you know. We're Marines. We're we're the we're sailors. We are in the military. We we have it. We have it all going on. We have it going. We're right, and we were strong. So the whole element of dealing with that with the complexity of the human element of is difficult because they they equate dealing with the human whatever we're going through as weakness and weakness is unacceptable right as a concept right again and that's a belief that obviously works against the culture but anyway but that's what and so therefore if weakness is unacceptable then i can't deal with my humanity okay and that was so there's this cultural element which really ties people's hands together where they really can't raise their hand in certain moments and that's that's something that i would continually talk about educate about because in the end we're not serving our people well and we're not serving our country well if we're not letting people deal with their stuff and, and then you have all these mental health problems and you have suicidal ideation and they have all the other, other all these other dysfunctions uh, where people try to deal with their stuff and not in a healthy way you know and so even just the Sort of like, you know, if you go talk to the chaplain, there's this, you know, you can't do that, right? So there was this sort of, um, you know, in policy, all the permissions you ever need to talk to the chaplain, but in the culture and mentality, um, don't, don't do that because it's going to work against you. So there's the, you know, how do we deal with humanity? And I think that they've made so much progress. There's a lot of great things that have happened that's happening in the military. But it's, again, it's a very unique culture. But again, I think some of those principles apply to really to any sector. Um, where when we're in leadership roles, we have to, we all put on a facade just as human beings. But we have to put on an extra facade that, we, that we're in control. We know what's going on, right? But the reality is how many leadership people in leadership have certain moments of, uh, you know, I don't know if I, everything's, if I got everything right in my own life, or I don't know if this is a complex decision I have to make. Yeah. And I would uh, often encourage, you know, the, the officers or the senior enlisted to, part of the wisdom of a leader is to be able to use all of your resources. You don't have all the answers, but you have a team around you that can really help provide you with the, the the, a better picture so that you can make the best decisions. And, and they would often do that. And I was always part of that. So the, and I, for anyone, I think just that wisdom of someone in leadership role to be able to use the resources that are there so that they can see the whole picture and make better decisions. And when crisis happens, the, the challenge with us as human beings is we go into emergency mode, crisis management mode. And so our, our brain even just sort of narrows its vision. But in, in, but in that moment, we need a broader vision. That's what we need. Right. To, 
<clears throat> so it really just goes back to just to have that wisdom to use all the resources and that if you don't have all the answers, it doesn't mean that you're not leading well. It just means that you're human. And if you have people that, where you can get all the answers, well, then that means that you're leading well, that you're wise, that you're smart, that you're intelligent. Which borders on to the question of, um, you know, popular topic now that is commonly asked for and presented in our professional coaching work. And that is this whole theme of emotional intelligence. And I, I'm going to confess, I should know this answer, but I'm not even sure who first introduced the, the theory of it. I know there have been some great articles and, and studies that have come out of the Harvard Business Review teams, and um, but but anyway, nonetheless, it's 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 a hot topic. And and as I have leaned into it and done my own study and work and try to help my clients, <clears throat> the irony is, if if you if you are already scoring low on that scale, you're you're not going to be aware of it. You're not going to be you know, open to a discussion about it and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And on the other hand, if you're at least open to that awareness, you, you might have a chance to, you know, make a shift and, and grow into a higher degree of so-called emotional intelligence where you can better deal with the complexities of the moment and the, and, but it, so much of it in my mind, my humble opinion, it comes back to this idea of dealing with the humanness of, of, of who you're right. working with. Yes. And then emotions are part of that. It's not emotional. And now there's a huge emphasis on emotions. It's, it's part of the human experience. It doesn't determine everything, but it's so important because it's the reality of what we go through as human beings, sort of that subjective element. That we'll, and emotional intelligence is really is being able to identify what I'm going through, and then to be able to, and um, what's the what's the word? It's not navigate, but to, um, to, for lack of a better word, to manage it, to know how to manage. Right? Are my emotions serving me well here? Are they getting in the way? Right? To, to, to the goals that I want to achieve, and if they're if they're getting in the way, then how can I properly regulate? Is the word? How can I regulate them so that I can right perform? right? And then the other part of emotional intelligence is. Be the awareness of the emotions and others and knowing how to navigate those in a constructive way. That's in a simple way. As, and this, I'm more explaining it for your listeners because I know that you, that you will know all this, but it's about self-awareness, but it's also awareness of the others and how I regulate my self-awareness and how I navigate the awareness of others. So there's a whole art to it. Right. And, and ultimately, where I think it shows up in the proverbial bottom line of, of, of leadership is the ability to respond to situations rather than react to situations. Okay. And a lot of my clients will, uh, they've heard me say this before, you know, the, the analogy I was taught is that if you go to the doctor and they give you medicine, if you react to it, that's a bad thing. You're you're having more trouble. But if you respond to it, you've started getting better. Mm. And much is true along that same line with the way a leader shows up in a moment when there is a crisis or a, a, a point of decision that has to be made or a point of teaching that has to be shared. If you if you react to a surprise, you're potentially compounding mm -hmm. the complexity and the difficulty of it. But if you respond to it, you can 
better steer the outcome so that it's more consistent with the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve. Right. And it, it's that react versus respond that is, some are going to say, Doug, you're just mincing words. And I'm going to say, well, uh, think about it. <laughs> right. right. And it goes back to the self-awareness, how important that is. Because if you're reacting, oftentimes people, if they're just reacting, they're not aware that it's just a reaction. And I want to go a little bit deeper into this, Doug, if you don't mind, is, is really what's complicated for us as human beings is we, so we are sometimes avoidant of dealing with, going back to emotions, dealing with what we're going through. Because either it's messy or we don't know what's there. We don't know what to call it. We don't have the muscles developed to be able to deal with it. And so oftentimes avoidant, we might even be a little bit more in tune to what's going on outside of us, but not so in tune and sort of afraid to go there. And, and that, in the end, really doesn't serve us well as human beings in our personal lives and, and in our professional lives. And going back to what you're saying about reacting is, oftentimes people react, they don't, if they don't have the, that emotional intelligence or awareness, they don't even recognize that they're reacting and that their reaction is creating, is escalating the situation rather than helping. It's creating more damage. Right. Now, a good leader, oftentimes, they might pick up on it and then pull back. Or at the aftermath, they're like, you know what? you know, and have that reconciling conversation, which would be great. Because again, that can build relationships and that's that's part of just our own growth as human beings. But when they're not able to recognize it, they've really, they've hurt confidence, trust, they've hurt relationships and, and people will not trust them anymore. Yeah, yeah, so very true. Well, Matthew, uh, I think we're about up on time here, my friend. Uh, tell folks the best way they can go about getting in touch with you if they'd like to have a more direct conversation. Thank you, Doug. Yes, I can. Um, they can come to bracketalliance.com, which is a website where they can find me, my services, whether it be coaching, consulting, mentorship, and speaking. And LinkedIn as well is also a great way to, to, to find me on Instagram at Bracket Alliance, Matthew Bracket Alliance. So that's, those are different ways to find me. And there's different packages of, that I, depending on what people want, but there's, I use a results accelerator, which is really great to create that awareness and speak to you know, what you were saying about needs, but also about values, about beliefs, about identity, to clarify that. Because when we have clarity about, a little bit more clear about who we are, then we can lead ourselves better, but we can also lead others better. And in the end, we can lead better, love better, a little better. I like it. And I think we just had the homily here, or <laughs> benediction, <laughs> I guess it were. But uh, thank you, Matthew, for sitting in and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug, for the opportunity. Yes. And folks, with that, we are going to wrap up. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have had you here today. I hope this has been a moment of inspiration to you. And a couple of thoughts, takeaways, you know, think about that self-awareness, that ability to just take a moment, evaluate what it is you're thinking, feeling, and experiencing before you jump out there and give an answer or react to a moment. And uh, with that, I think you'll be able to really lean in and, and show up as a better leader. So um, we're going to sign off. I, I do want to remind everybody, we've got a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, check out the video library we've got. We are dropping three shows a week, so there's a whole lot of content coming at you. 
But keep up with us. Sign up for our mail list. You can uh, get reminders when we have published everything. But with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.